Um, so good for me to be able to preach this morning. Um, I feel very privileged to speak. I want to um, just say a little bit more about what Pastor Alan said. You know, we do never want to um, be in a position where we man- manipulate people to give. That's not what we want to do. We're not trying to force you into a position. Um, but we'd also love to change your perspective. I read um, a couple of weeks back a, a scripture in Ezekiel. And as I was reading, it said, and the sins of Sodom, and I sort of filled in the blanks. Oh, I know what it's going to talk about. You know, I know it's going to be going to sexual immorality and debauchery and, and immoral living. And I read the next three words, and I was like shocked. Oh, hang on, let me go back again and read this again. The sins of Sodom. And you know what this, it said? It said the sins, and I know what you would have been thinking. You would have been the same as me. But it said the sins of Sodom were pride, greed, and laziness. And I went, Wow. My perspective has been so wrong, and it needs changing. And um, Chelsea touched on it, do not conform to this world, but change the way you think. And so my um, desire this morning, my goal is, as I speak this morning, I'd love to change your perspective on something that maybe you've had a very different idea on. And I know I certainly um, did have a different idea. Um, While we're talking about money, um, I heard a story of an old lady who... A um, long time ago, would walk outside every morning to get her milk. Remember when there were milk bottles outside? That was a test to see how old you were. So they'd walk outside to get this milk bottle, and she would stand at the gate, and she would always look out over the, the, the little paddock outside and go, Praise the Lord, what a great day. And she'd grab her milk, and as she'd walk in, the neighbor was an atheist, an old grumpy atheist, and he would scold her every day. And one day she walked out, and she did, Praise the Lord, what a great day. And as she turned, she said, and Lord, please help me. I just don't have enough for groceries. And so the old atheist thought, I'm going to show her there's no God. And he went out and bought her a whole lot of groceries. And so the next morning when she walked out, she praised the Lord, picked up her milk and turned around and said, praise the Lord for the groceries. And he hung his head out the window, the old atheist, and he shouted, shut up and get back inside. There's no God. I bought those groceries. And she looked and she turned around and said, praise the Lord. You got the devil to pay for it. <laughs> so... <laughs> You see, it's all about perspective. <laughs> it's the way you see things. And, and this lady had a great idea. The atheist didn't have a great idea. The way you see things. If I had to ask you today, um, what would you do if all of a sudden I could make you rich? I wonder what you would say. Um, I've asked a few people, if I made you rich right now, what would you do? And the godly people always go, well, I'll give quite a portion to the church. Um, the most common answer is not what you would do, but normally what people wouldn't do. Well, I wouldn't go back to work tomorrow. I wouldn't go back to my place of employment. Um, Sort of those are common answers that you would hear. Um, But it's an interesting thing. What would you do if you were rich? I love reading newspaper articles when people have won the lotto. And they ask them, what are they going to do? It's fascinating. Um, I know there's a program from the UK about the last 20 lotto winners. I don't think any of them have got any money anymore. So maybe you don't want to be rich in that way. Um, If I had to ask you today... Um, who of you is rich? Who would put the hand up? Oh, that's good. There's quite a few of you are rich. Well done. We will make a note of that when we check the tithes. <laughs> um, can I just say a few things quickly? Compared to the rest of the world, um, if you own a car, you're one of the 8% of people in the world. The rest walk and take a bicycle. And I'm not going to ask how many own more than one car. Um, I don't want to say how many we have in, how many modes of 
motorized transport we have in our house, but motorbikes are from God. Let's just say that. Um, who have you got running water in your house? That's awesome. I, I even think there's people with camper vans that have got running water. Well, there are 8 billion people in the world who do not have running water. Um, I won't ask you to put your hand up, but if you earn more than $45,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Just think about that quickly. You're in the top 5%. I didn't talk about net worth. If you earn more than $45,000 a year, you're in the top 4% in the world. Um, if you live in a house, whether you own it or you rent it, if you live in a house with doors, windows, and a roof, you are one of 8% of people in the world. Um, I've heard stories, I've never witnessed this in my house, but I've heard stories of ladies who go into a little room or to a cupboard and they look at a whole row of stuff and go, I have nothing to wear. <laughs> um, over 95% of people in the world have one garment, one bit of clothing. Um, I've heard, and I've actually seen this for myself, of men who walk into a little room and just look at their motor car or their motorbike, just stare at it. And then a thought comes over them, I need a new one. <laughs> um, the little house that your car sleeps in is better than 95% of the houses in the world. My little house where my car sleeps even has running hot and cold water. It is amazing. <laughs> Today, three billion people will be just happy to have one meal. 800 million people will not eat today. Yet many of us would leave here and go to a supermarket and very carefully fill a trolley, making sure we get the right brand and the right choice because someone will be unhappy if we go home with the wrong brand. And then lo and behold, while we have a fridge full, we will go out for dinner to eat somewhere else. And then I've heard another story. Um, who's heard that we're in a cost of living crisis? I think we've seen that. I've heard that the Taylor Swift tickets sold out for both concerts in one day. We've got a cost of living crisis. The Warriors game last night we don't talk about the result, but the Warriors game was sold out. Do we really have a cost of living crisis? <laughs> um, so if I put it to you again this morning, and I said, who is rich? I think all of us should put our hands up. If you told the 92% of people in the world who are living on a dollar a day, that you people think you're not rich, they will say it's impossible. They could not believe that you are not rich. We are all extremely rich. And so with that in mind, I'd love us to look at the Bible again and go over a few scriptures that talk about the rich. Because I fear that when we read those scriptures where Jesus says the rich will struggle to enter the kingdom of, of heaven, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven, we read the next verse because we don't include ourselves in that being rich. We, we skip over that because, well, I'm not rich. I'm just doing okay. I'm... So we need to relook at some of these scriptures and maybe the things that we, we have. You know, the other morning I was driving as an owner, 4% of owners of cars. I drove my car in for a service at 6 o'clock. And then I got on an electric bicycle, which 
those other people would never have. And at six o'clock in the morning, I cycled in to come up to the cafe. And while coming along the boardwalk, this side, yeah, I saw two lights coming. Oh, it's moving around quite a lot. And as they got closer, they were runners. There were two people running. Six o'clock in the morning, I was rugged up. I had gloves, jacket and everything. They were in shorts and a t-shirt and they were running. And I thought, man, that's commitment. That is incredible commitment. And as I was cycling on, I thought, we have no problem with commitment. We have a problem with a cause to be committed to. I have no problem, um, I'll, I'll brag quickly because Morgan spoke about last week going to a Tottenham Hotspurs game. I went to the exact same game except this time Tottenham won. But anyway, we were going to buy tickets while we were over in Northern Ireland with my brother-in-law and I think nephew. I'm not sure I get all of those things wrong. But we were going to buy these tickets to go watch this football game. And um, I sort of went on the ticket thing and I found, yeah, those look, that's nice and cheap. And when he looked at it, he went, no way, we don't want to sit there. We want to, we want to sit yeah. And when he pointed to the number, I nearly choked. Like, no way. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> but I had no problem coughing out the money because I wanted to go. So we have no problem with giving money to what we want to do. It gets a little bit different. Um, sometimes we have a kingdom offering like this, and my wife and I will talk about it because all good couples talk about what you do with the money. And, um, and she'll say, I want to give whatever. And immediately I'll think of what I can do with that money. Man, I could buy motorbike parts. I could, I could maybe even get new golf clubs because that's the new thing. And immediately... I realize that I'm just being like Judas, one of Jesus' disciples. When the lady broke the perfume jar, he thought of what he could do with the money. And so I realize that my attitude to it is my commitment is not where it should be. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord, in 2 Chronicles 16, The eyes of the Lord search the whole world to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. And my question today is, what are you really committed to? What are you really doing with your life? What really matters to you? You see, to those people running at 6 o'clock in the morning, it really mattered that they got up and ran. And so they acted accordingly, got up early enough, got their gear ready, went out and did it. So when something really matters to you, you take steps and you take action and you make a change. You know, if you look at the early church, one of the biggest impacts the early church had was probably on the Roman Empire. If you think of the Roman Empire, they dictated and, and dominated the early the Jews, the early Christians, um, to the point they were crucifying people upside down on the way into cities, and, and they were ruling with an iron fist. You had to pay tax to Caesar. And yet, despite all of that, the early believers from Acts 2 verse 44 to 45 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. The early Christians understood what generosity meant. And by that, they changed the landscape of the Roman Empire. See, the Roman Empire had a great inequality between rich and, 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 and non-rich, poor people. And when they saw what these early Christians did, it changed the whole Roman Empire. And out of that, we've got the Roman Catholic Church, and we can look at that some other time. But here we have a group of people who were the scourge of society to the Romans. But when the Romans saw what they were doing, it changed the rest of the Roman Empire. So now that we've established we're all rich, we need to look at these scriptures in a different way and see how that applies. So I want to read 
1 Timothy. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read from verse 17. And I heard someone talking the other day about reading from the Word. And Pastor Alan got everyone to stand a week ago and just to honor. And um, I realized um, what a holy moment this is when we read Scripture. You know, if you've ever been, I've um, been past a shop where they've had a book launch and someone's been sitting there signing books and everyone's excited to get there and buy their book and put it before the author who will sign it. We're going to read now from a book where the author lives inside of us. We don't need a signature. His signature should be all over our lives as we, we read this. So this is a holy moment where the God who inspired the whole living word of God can illuminate what we read. And so I pray that that will happen today. 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 to 19 says, Teach those who are rich in this world. So that's all of us. Amen? We've established that. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure, their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Um, some translations say that you should command the rich not to be arrogant. Interesting, knowing that verse, and nowhere in the Bible does it say you shouldn't be rich. So there's nothing wrong with driving a Mercedes. Not that I'd want to drive one, but there's nothing wrong with, we're all rich, so there's nothing wrong with being rich. But the Bible says we need to teach you not to be arrogant, not to be proud. What it means is to realize that whatever you have is not because of you. Whatever I have is not because of me. It is all because of God. It's all because of Jesus Christ. And so being rich is not a problem. And let me just tell you, the subject of giving and um, being rich or not is not a heaven or hell issue. Um, just the same as immoral living, pornography, or stealing for that matter. It's not a heaven or hell issue. Your salvation is secure. The Bible says if you believe with all your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's secure. But man, you're going to make life on earth very difficult if you don't get these other things right. And so, and that's why we want to talk about this. So because you're all rich, I want to challenge you this morning. Do not be proud and do not put your trust in your money. We should never think that we have made what we have. Everything comes from God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, God gives the wisdom to make wealth. Whatever you and I have done that is good or commendable is not because of us. It's because God has blessed us and put us in the place where we are. Um, Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. In the New Living Translation says, While Jesus was in the temple, he watched rich people dropping their gifts in the collection. So that's us. He's watching us put our gifts in the collection because we're all rich. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. And he said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she has given everything. 
Mark Twain said that wealth is not measured by what a man has, but by what he gives away. We see it very different. And I said today, I'd love to change your perspective. So hopefully I've changed your perspective that you actually are rich. And I'd love you to change your perspective of what you give and what you keep and whose it actually is. I heard a preacher say the other day that Jesus never tithed his life. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm so grateful that Jesus never tithed his life. He gave it all. He didn't just give us a bit of it. He came and gave his whole life as a new way to do it. Um, I've heard many Christians saying that tithing is Old Testament. Well, I've got a couple of scriptures talking about rich and that, that we're going to look at quickly in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to 22. It says, someone came to Jesus with this question. He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. And so he's talking about God. Is this what we've exactly just spoken about? I haven't made anything. It's God that's done it and given it to me. He says, but to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which one? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your mother and father and love your neighbor as yourself. And quite audaciously, the young man says, I've obeyed all of those commandments. That's what the young man replied. His parents must have been real happy because he, he was obviously a good kid. What else must I do? Be very careful when you ask God, what must I do? <laughs> and so Jesus replied, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And yeah, we, we, we see the response. But the young man heard this and he went away sad because he had many possessions. Isn't it crazy that the only person who came to Jesus to ask for something and left sad, was a rich person. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Lepers came and went away dancing and screaming. Crippled people picked up their beds and ran away pretty excited. But a rich person comes and he leaves sad. So if you're struggling with the 10% story of the Old Testament, this all of a sudden Jesus goes to the 100%. So you choose what you want to believe. Um, here's another story. Luke chapter 19. And I'm going to read verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming by that way. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. I mean, he must have thought he's got the lotto there. He just wanted to see Jesus. Now he's getting to have him at his house. Verse 7, and all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give away half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times. Listen to what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So, here we have another one now. This guy, if you're struggling with the 10%, Jesus lays down a different lawyer, give away 50%. So you choose 10 or 50. You can go with whatever scripture you want, Old Testament, New Testament. Now, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but 
isn't it incredible that Jesus says to him, or he says to Jesus, I'm going to give away 50% and I'm going to pay back. And Jesus says, today, salvation has come to that house. Now, do you think that means you can buy your salvation? No way. What Jesus was saying was, he saw the change of the man's heart and said, this man has got salvation. Conversion has changed him. You see, Jesus realized that as Zacchaeus had encountered and had an encounter with Jesus, he realized what was more important. Zacchaeus realized that grace inspires more than the law requires. You see, the law required that if you've cheated anyone, you pay them back double. Zacchaeus went, well, I'm not going to pay them back double. I'm going to give them back four times because grace has inspired more than the law. He knew that the law was to tithe 10%, but he went, man, by the grace of God, I realize that's inspired me more. I want to do 50% because he was changed from the inside out. You see, I love the, the scripture in Matthew 13 verse 44 that says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again. He sold everything that he owned to get enough money to buy that field. And he said again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sells everything he owns to buy it. My question to you and I today, if we say we have found the kingdom of God, is it of enough value that we prepare to sell everything to have it? Is what we have found of enough value that we are prepared to sell everything to have it? For me, it's not about changing the way you live as much as being inspired to live that you're so committed to Jesus that nothing else matters. That's the priority in our lives. I want to finish with another story. And don't let the band come up yet because it's quite a long story. But um, I shared a little bit at communion the other day. I realized as I said that, oh, they're going to get edgy. Start standing up. Just relax. Um, This is a story that I've been sort of visiting for quite a while. Matthew chapter 14, verse 5. And um, I heard someone speak on this about giving. And I thought, man, I've never put the two together. But what an amazing story. Matthew 14, verse 5. As evening approached, the disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go into the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. The disciples answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two little fish. Bring them to me, he said. And Jesus directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces of bread. They were left over. Here's the punchline. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. Now that's a crazy story. But there's a couple of things that I want to talk to you about quickly. One of the first things I realized with this story you know, if you just imagine 5,000 men, so if I look at the audience here today, we could probably easily double that number. There were probably 10,000 people there. And I realized that when you've got 10,000 people and you sit them down on the grass and you're going to feed them, 
the people right on the outskirts would probably not even see the miracle. They would be looking and going, oh, it looks like they're bringing some food around. Man, it's going to be good. We're going to get food. And yep, yep, it's coming closer. And they would have got food. They wouldn't have seen the miracle. Only those close, Ellie and Lee and, and the people on the front here, would have seen the miracle. They would have seen, there's only five loaves there. How are we going to feed this lot? And then after they'd broken and gone in hand, man, there's still more. And it's still going. And they broke some more. And man, there's still more. It's still going. So only the people close would have seen. Can I put it to you that if you are not seeing the miracles, maybe you're not close enough to God. If you're not seeing miracles in your life, maybe it's because you're far away. Then can I take you back to Tottenham Hotspurs in the UK when I wanted to sit up top there and my nephew wanted to pay this much and I nearly choked. It costs to be closer to God. It costs. It's easy to sit on the outskirts but when you want to come to the front, it costs you. It, it, it costs you something to be close. Are you prepared to put that in to be close? People out there never saw the miracle, only those that are close. The commitment to be close comes with a price. Next crazy thing that I saw was when Jesus prayed for the food and blessed it, there wasn't a big bang. And there was a mountain of bread as high as this roof. That didn't happen. The disciples had to start breaking it and giving it away for the miracle to happen. Can I ask myself then, if what I have is not multiplying, is it maybe because I'm not giving it away? Is it maybe because I'm hanging on to what I have? You all know what happens if you hang on to a loaf of bread. It goes stale. <laughs> Maybe you need to be giving away, breaking it, and by faith, then it'll multiply. So that's a question that I need to ask myself. What am I asking God to multiply today? And God's saying, well, just give some away of it and I can do the miracle. Because we're hanging on to it. Interesting that Jesus talks about in the Bible, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. And I've always wondered about that and thought, you know, there would have been a lot of other things that Jesus could have said there. You know, you can't serve God and your job. Or you can't serve God and the TV. You can't serve God and your hobby, God and your sport. But he chose money. Because I think, well, I don't think, I know God knew the power that it has over us. Um, somehow we always want more. I don't know anyone yeah. if we said, look, we, we want to give away some money. I don't know anyone who wouldn't take it. <laughs> we all want more. God has put inside of us a desire for more, but it's for more of Him. And the devil comes and distorts that, and we go that way. I heard an interesting thing this week. Um, a tree always falls in the way it's leaning. Which makes sense. If a tree is leaning a little bit this way and it comes down, it's not going to fall that way. A tree falls the direction it's leaning. And in my life, if I'm leaning towards getting more money, that's the way I'm going to fall. If I'm leaning towards God, that's the way I'm going to fall. And so we need to make sure we're leaning. I mean, I've heard people get up here and say, look, I'm going to preach now. I'd love you to lean in. And we need to make sure we're leaning in the right direction. If you lean in the wrong way, you're going to fall that way. And so we need to ask ourselves honestly, which way am I leaning? 
Is everything about money? Is everything about my job? Is everything about my career? What is the thing I'm leaning to? And if it's not Jesus, we need a bit of an uproot and a replant and make sure we're leaning towards Jesus. As I close for real this time, the band can come up. <laughs> um, I believe some of the questions we need to ask ourselves is do we really need a cause? Maybe we're not living for a cause and we're living for ourselves. You know, when you get an increase or a bit of a windfall of money, what's the first thing you do? Do you call Kelly and say, man, I want to upgrade my house, need a better house? Or do you call one of the car yards and say, I want a better car? Or do you think, God, how can I use this to change the kingdom? Because when Jesus has really changed my heart, my biggest desire will be to draw people who are far from God closer to God. Nothing else will matter. Another question I need to ask myself, could God trust me with more? Could God trust me with more? I always remember the story of a guy who was doing a sermon somewhere about money and and he said, you know, I was down and out walking on the street and I had $10 in my pocket. And I walked past this beggar and I felt God say to me, give away everything you have. And so I gave the $10 to that person. And you won't believe it, within six months, my business was restored. My family and money was incredible again. I now own a jet. I've been able to give away motor vehicles. And um, at the end of his talk, he said, any questions? And the little old lady stood up at the back and said, so just tell me quickly, confirm I heard right. You gave away everything you had, and you have so much more now. He said, yep, that's right. And she said, I only have one question for you. Would you do that all again right now? And he couldn't answer. (laughs) You see, the truth is, if you're struggling to give because you only got a little, you're not going to be able to give easier when you got lots. Because it gets harder. Um, Sometimes, a while ago, I used to count the offering at church. That was one of my roles. And when you opened the the money notes in South Africa, you had an elephant on the $100 bill and you could see the tears in the elephant's eyes because people were holding on so tightly when they were putting the money in. (laughs) The more you have, the harder it is to give. And that's why Jesus said, it's harder for the rich to enter the kingdom. How do you think when your spouse says, let's give a thousand bucks to the offering? What's your immediate reaction? What do you feel? And so I want to close today just saying that verse from Timothy. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God. Won't you please stand? So we're entering as a church a couple of weeks of um, our kingdom offering. Um, I've said this before. I saw a testimony a couple of weeks ago of a a couple in South America who are doing great mission work. Now, I don't want to go to South America. I love Tauranga. And so it's incredible that my giving can be a part of that. Um, We've had several folk get saved in just the last few months because of Alpha courses that we put on. And I believe that everyone who's given to the church has a part of that. Every person who's served as a host, every person who's been on stage here leading praise and worship has a part in that person's salvation because we're all a family and we do this together. And so I want to just close in a prayer this morning and just pray that God will help us to change our perspective 
of what we have and what we use it for. Amen. Would you all bow your heads with me? Dear Lord Jesus, today I pray that from me to every single person listening here, you would change our perspective that we are actually very rich. And God, we declare it's because of you. You have blessed us and you have promoted us. You have protected us. And God, at the same time, we do not want to make light of anyone who may be struggling. And we pray that we'd be aware of that and be able to lift them up and help them. We pray for a miracle in their situation right now. God, and as we come to a time of our kingdom offering, I want to pray that you would move on all of our hearts, that we realize that the money we have is not actually for us. It's for you. Everything is for you, God. We, we sing songs. I give you my everything. And we don't ever want to only mean that half. We want to mean that fully. And so, God, I pray that as we change our perspective to realize that we don't trust in our money, but we trust in you, that you would bring about a mighty change in our hearts, change in our commitment. We want to be fully committed to you. You are really all that matters in our lives. May that reflect in the way we live, the way we handle our money, our relationships, our time. Lord Jesus, we put you first. In Jesus' name.